Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And today we're going to be taking a preview of an upcoming course that is very important uh, in the practice of engineering, and that is on the subject of ethics. And uh, this course is going to be taking place not too uh, far from the future here. We're, uh, we're looking at a, a course start of uh, February 21st with uh, classes that are going to be going from February 28th until March 6th. And um, the information on that course is going to be available up on www.ecec.org. Encourage everyone to take a look. And to talk about this course, we have the presenter, uh, Tim Groover. And uh, he is the uh, CEO of uh, Groover Consulting. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for being part of the program today. Welcome to uh, the podcast. So, Tim, uh, let's go through your background a bit because, uh, you know, you, you kind of went from uh, uh, the professional engineer side into kind of coaching and business development and then, and of course, ethics. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your consul consulting firm, and, 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 and why this course kind of came about. Okay. Well, that it wasn't exactly in that order, but I can sort of lay out what the path was and where the ethics sort of started to rear its head, so to speak. Uh, but I, I have been a practicing engineer for since 1980 is when I came into the working world, so 43 years ago, and retired recently from Wiley Wilson, a long-standing member of ACEC. I'm actually a life fellow of ACEC, so I'm pretty proud of that and want to continue that relationship with ACEC. I've gotten an awful lot out of the organization. Um, during my own exit strategy from Wiley Wilson uh, for one, one thing led to another from the standpoint of that transition planning. And I felt like a relatively aggressive transition plan was was important to the company because people were ready to step up. And just because I might not have been ready to retire right away, I, I felt like it was opportunity to sort of hand the reins over to some people who were ready to take on new roles. And so I began my transition out of my titled roles, so to speak, about three years before I retired and moved into a position of senior director where it really was probably the most enjoyable point of my career because I was able to, if, if you're familiar with Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, there's this corner of his quad, which is the important but not urgent box that we so rarely can find ourselves with enough time to actually go in there because we're dealing with the urgent all day long. Well, for about the last two years of my career, I was able to go into that box and work on the important but not urgent things, uh, both for my company and for some other uh, nonprofits I worked with and, and so forth. And so that's that's where I sort of got in my head. You know, I, I'm, I'm really curious about a lot of things relative to the industry. I'm curious about the important, not urgent things. And I dove into that hard and heavy for a couple of years. Once retirement kind of came along, I said, you know, I, I, I don't want to just stream Netflix all day long or play golf every day. Don't mean playing golf once or twice a week, but, you know, I want to stay engaged with the profession and be helpful for people who really have trouble finding themselves the time to get in that box. Now, from the standpoint of ethics, the ethics goes back further than that, back when Nancy Israel, the then uh, executive director of ACEC Virginia contacted me when she was putting together the Emerging Leaders Program for ACEC Virginia 
probably about 15 years ago was the first time she she got in touch with me. And I, I believe the way she put it was, you know, we want to have a piece on ethics, but boy, I can't find anybody who's willing to tackle that or who wants to deal with it because it's such a god awful boring topic. And no, nobody really wants to deal with that or feels comfortable dealing with that. You know, would you take that on? And I, I guess I, I, number one, felt a little sorry for her. And number two, I felt a little sorry for people who had been through so many of these ethics classes that that are kind of rote and boring and case study oriented and everything else. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with sort of the learning pyramid, but there's a learning pyramid that talks about what you can retain or what, what you may be able to retain depending on different types of learning environments with reading being the lowest and it progresses up. Well, it turns out that at the very top of the pyramid is teaching. So if you if you really want to learn about something, volunteer to teach it because you're going to have to be ready and you're going to have to dive into it. So it so that was my first deep dive into the topic to get ready for that half day session for ACEC Virginia for emerging leaders. And once I dove into it, the way it sort of sprouted out and touched so many aspects of the profession and, and trying to make it an interesting topic and one where people don't just come to get CEUs, but come to really grow as a professional and apply it to their personal and company brand, so to speak. I, I got pretty interested in that and have just sort of evolved and continued to sort of scratch my head about it, be curious about it, ask people about it and, and kind of refine the message. Uh, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to do this for ACEC here coming up in February. Yeah, it's, you know, it's admittedly, uh, ethics can be a dry subject. Um, I'm married to an ethics lawyer. Uh, uh, wow, ethics and implies yes, right? <laughs> I, I should talk to her. I can't get away. I can't get away with anything, right? So, but but you know, sign her up for the class. I'd love to know what she thinks. <laughs> she used to. I mean, she she when before you know when she worked in the private sector, um, uh, you know, she would do the trainings, right? And um, and uh, you know, she did you know, it was always the discussion after the fact of how do you how do you make it different how do you make it engaging interesting because to your point it's the kind of thing that you're obligated to go to you have to make sure that you kind of check the box for it but it's very important information but a lot of time it's the stuff that's ancillary to the actual work that's happening in the firm and you're more concerned about getting the project done getting the actual work done and this is kind of just a bump in the road, right? And and yeah. to try to make it engaging, make it interesting, not just so much case study to case study to case study. I what did you see out there that was lacking from ethics training that you kind of wanted to put your own spin on or make it more engaging or successful? Where did you see the deficiency out there in, in how it was being Well, I, I I'm not I'm not gonna say it's a deficiency necessarily. It, it it's it's kind of the logical way to approach it would be to pick up the NSPE code of ethics and take canon number two and do a case study that demonstrates when canon number two can be violated. Okay, that's that's very specific storytelling of someone else's story. What I wanted to do was to get people to really think about it from the standpoint of them personally and their experiences and what they've sort of seen. Um, and, and take it broader than just going through the specific examples of when somebody's gotten sideways within our profession. 
because uh, you'd like to think that most everybody in our profession knows you shouldn't take a bribe, you know, or, or give a bribe to get work. I mean, that, that should not be that big a stretch. But where are the nuances? Where are the things that sort of where your antenna may be telling you something and you're not sure exactly what to do about it? Uh, or what is the frequency of your antenna? Are you tuned in in a way that is going to come across to others as being ethical? Because that's what it boils down to. You, you know, we can have a code of ethics, but ultimately it's our clients and it's the public that's going to determine whether we as individuals or we as companies are behaving ethically. And it's a perception thing. And their perception is their reality. And it's interesting that, that you mentioned your wife, who's a lawyer. I mean, I talk about the legal profession a little bit in this course because it gets a pretty bum rap a lot of the time when it comes to how people perceive lawyers. Well, if you dive into that a little bit more, you can understand a whole lot better as to why lawyers behave the way they do because of what their obligations are relative to what their actual code of conduct is. And, and if you can begin to think about these things critically, and, and the best mentor I ever had said, you need to learn this short phrase, and you need to repeat this in your head whenever you jump to a conclusion or feel like you've got something figured out. And that phrase is, I might be wrong. And so our, our, our perceptions may be wrong about things and being able to think critically is so important to developing an ethical brand and, and building trust. And that's what we're ultimately trying to do is build trust. It's also about feeling comfortable enough to kind of be alert enough about issues related to the code of conduct and ethics to ask questions to understand that you know there are nuances here there are things that need to that it's not just sometimes it's very black and white cut and dry other times um you're in situ you can find yourself in situations where there is a lot of gray and being able to have the training to kind of sort through and look through that gray and kind of find an answer or to ask for example a general counsel or someone in your firm's legal department you know having that comfort level um, is important, and I would imagine that comes through proper training as well. It's it's not just every you know to be paranoid of everything, but understanding that uh, there are guidelines and 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 how to navigate that and and be an active participant in in being an ethical uh, part of a part of a company. Yeah. Well, and there there are two or three things you mentioned that I want to talk about. There were, you mentioned you mentioned the training part of it, and you know training. Training's fine and good, but but in order to really have change, you've got to proactively dig a lot deeper. I mean, what 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 you would hope that training would create, and what I try to create when I do these sessions, is not think that someone's going to come out of a of a session on ethics and they're going to know everything. They're gonna they're gonna get exposed to enough to where I hope they become curious, and that that's what we need. We need curiosity. And what does curiosity result in? They re it results in us doing what you said, which is ask questions. So often we as engineers are looked at as having all the answers. Therefore, we are somewhat reluctant to show the vulnerability it takes to ask questions because it, to some people that makes them, they believe, look weak. 
And uh, one, one, a cohort I have, Dr. Richard Coughlin, who's with the University of Richmond Business School. And he's, he's just a terrific guy who's done a lot of, lot of research on things like accountability and, and has spoken on ethics and those types of things. And, and he does a uh, session where he meets with CEOs and he just has conversations with them. And he, he told me one time when I, I asked him, I said, what do you think is the most common trait of the people who are the best leaders of all the people you've sort of met? And he said, you know, the best leaders ask the best questions. And that is so different from what you hear or you would expect to hear from others. You know, the great leaders are decisive. The great leaders have charisma or the great leaders have authority or things like that. And no, to him, the best leaders have curiosity because that's where they're going to learn. And that's where they're going to make better decisions if they actually go out and try to find out what the options are. And, and again, be aware that they might not have all the answers. And, and in fact, they don't have all the answers. Ultimately, they've got to take the responsibility for this decision because the buck stops with them. But if you're going to be in that position where the buck stops with you, why not, you know, put the chips down in a way that you've really evaluated it carefully? Yeah. That's a, there's an interesting corollary to the media relations stuff that we do. You know, when we do media training, we always try to tell the people that we're working with that saying, I don't know, is not a bad thing. It, and it's the same idea. It's that you're looked upon as a subject matter expert, that you have the answers, that you're going to be able to answer it, uh, any question that comes along. But there's a point where saying, I don't know, but I can find out for you, is actually... A, a good, more positive answer than just filling space with nonsense, because that's where you can get yourself into trouble. It's realizing that you might not have an answer, and you go and find, and you ask the right questions, to your point, to figure out what the actual answer is, and then deliver it from a position of strength. But it's that flexibility of being able to say, you know, I don't have all the answers, and I need to ask the questions, and I need to ask questions that might be, uh, you know, feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you know what? It's it's going to be a lot better if you ask the question instead of you just move ahead without certainty, because that's where, you know, you can get into a snowball effect and small problems become big ones. Um, what, you know, you already have a one-hour uh, webinar on ethics that, that's up on the site. With the new session that you'll be doing, how, how do you want that to differ from what you've done in, in, in the past? And, and what do you want to cover in this, uh, in this series coming, coming up uh, uh, early next year? Well, the, the one-hour webinar, I'd, I'd liken it to, you know, you, you, you got two options when you, you're faced with having a rock and you've got a pond in front of you. You can skip a stone across the top and you can touch a lot of things and you can create curiosity in a dozen different areas and that then let others do the deep dive or you can just throw it high and let it drop and go deep and and the webinar the one hour webinar is kind of that skip uh, i really try to cover a lot more from the standpoint of you know from from aristotle to today what might ethics look like if you get into the definition standpoint and if you get into what what a person or a company could do to sort of apply those principles, but it's a broad stroke to try to create that curiosity to dive deeper. 
the course itself takes a couple different areas and we go a little bit deeper into it. We go, we go deeper into what ethics means under different scenarios to different cohorts. And we look at different professions, how they're perceived, why they might be perceived that way. Engineers are blessed with a pretty high public perception of our level of ethical behavior. Not all professions have that. Well, why might that be the case? It's fascinating to me to sort of look at why that might be the case and really ask those questions as to, okay, why right now is Congress at the bottom from the standpoint of public perception? Uh, and, and, and what are the differences in the behavior, the actions, the messaging, so forth and so on. So there's, there's that studying of how engineers compare to others from a perception standpoint and why that might be the case. And then diving into where folks can get it wrong from the standpoint of saying one thing and doing something else. Now we're getting down into the behaviors, down into the decisions we make, down into those nuances uh, and, and, and helping people to sort of think about the situations that they've had, more importantly, the next situation that they're going to have and how can they prepare themselves and their company to come away from whatever that interaction might be with it, with the agency or client or partner or whoever it is coming away going, you know what, that was authentic. I trust them. We're going to we're going to have a great relationship and I want to be part of their I, I, I want I want to be a teammate of that individual and that team. You know, there's a, a phrase we use a lot when we try to talk to policymakers and external audiences that engineers aren't just problem solvers, but, you know, they're trusted advisors for their clients, that they not only look at a an issue or a problem that is present in the built environment that they might be hired to address, but they look to leave the project and, and create a design that is significantly better than where it, it existed before they came in. And it is that role of uh, being a consultant engineer, of being a, being a trusted individual who can come into a public agency, maybe a DOT that isn't fully staffed, and serve as that liaison and be relied on. And, and that, you know, that assumption, that, that assumption of a trusted advisor comes with that idea that you're going to be acting in an ethical manner, that you're going to be complying with everything that you need to comply with in the, in the process. And, you know, having that background and that training in ethics really helps you. I, I would imagine you'll come in and, and, and be that trusted advisor for a client. Um, you know, how do, how do you see, you know, that kind of work with, 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 you know, the training that you can have in ethics and the training you can have on these issues and how engineers can present themselves externally to, to potential clients? Well, first off, you mentioned the term trusted advisor a number of times, and, and that is one of the specific areas that I chose to do a deeper dive in and, and do some sessions on that, that topic by itself. 
But again, that's an area where all these things end up being interrelated and connected because ethics is highly associated with the ability to develop a trusted advisor relationship. Now, when you use the term trusted advisor, there were times in, in my working life before I retired where we'd be preparing, someone would prepare a shortlist interview and I usually got to wear the hat of the client and come in during the dry run and, or, or the rehearsal and I would play client and be really hard about asking the questions and really trying to throw the team off their game and get them ready for game day. Well, if, if there were presentations and now and then there'd be a presentation where someone would say, you know, why hire us? Because we will be your trusted advisor. And, you know, I, I, I think the key to developing a trusted advisor relationship starts off with understanding that you don't get to use that term. Okay. Saying, I want to be your trusted advisor to me is like someone saying, you know what, I'm a really humble person. Well, a, a humble person doesn't say they're humble. And not only that, I don't get to determine whether I'm humble or not. Jeff gets to determine whether I'm humble. You can't label yourself a trusted advisor. That is, that is just not possible to do. What you want is you want for, if, if you are my client, Jeff, what I want is for you to tell other people that you trust me, that they, they and, and, and let that label come from external sources. Don't try to label yourself that. Behave in certain ways and you've got a good shot of building that brand. And so that's part, that's, well, that I, I just really think, stop looking in the mirror and, and telling yourself who you are. Ask questions so you can find out how others are perceiving you and work on building that exterior perception instead of patting yourself on the back. So let's talk about um, scenarios. Um, personally, what's, what's a good example of a scenario of an ethical dilemma that you found yourself in um, during, your, during your time with the firm? For whatever reason, there's there's one instance that really is burned in my brain. And then first off, I'm going to share a story about an instance that does relate to the canons of the NSPE code. So I'm a I'm a young project manager, and I go to a shortlist interview uh, to get this project, and it, it's a, it's a decent project with a municipality. And when you go to those shortlist interviews, typically you've got somebody from city council there and you've got, you know, there might be the city manager and there might be a couple technical people there, but there are a couple politicians and there's a couple policy people. There might be a public citizen there who's got some interest in it. So we finished the interview. I, I happen to be a Virginia Tech grad. We finished the interview and as we're shaking hands, the chair of the selection committee comes up to me and says, Hey, I saw on your resume, you're a Virginia Tech grad. It sure would make my decision easier if I had season tickets to the Hokies football games this year. Which, you know, here I am going, wow, this guy is going to give me the job if I can get him season tickets. And clearly that is, you know, there, it wasn't like there was any nuance to this at all. This was an aside conversation of somebody who, basically said, you've got the job if I have season tickets. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a and, quid and, pro quo right there. I, that, that's, a, that, that's pretty clear. Well, it is. It's pretty clear, that, which is why it sort of is the most obvious example I can give you, because it is just hook, line, and sinker. 
by the book against everything in the code. So, you know, but here I am, I want the job and I'm going, okay, how do I say no to, you know, to this guy, but still win the project? And I said, and it just so happened that this short list interview was in August. And so what I said was, I said, well, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to be so busy working on your project this fall. I have no idea how to even get season tickets. And I just left it at that. <laughs> and we did get the project. But anyway, that that was probably the most egregious. Now, that, that, what, what I sort of found as I dug into the topic, though, was, again, the day to day things that sort of come up that are the nuanced things uh, and, and probably one of some of the more interesting ones were, as an example, if you if you've got a core value that you post. And all of a sudden you're starting to behave contrary to that core value. Then in my mind, you're violating your ethical principles because you've said you were going to sign up to do one thing and now you're doing something else. And now if someone can see that those dots are disconnected, uh, your, your, your perception as being ethical is going to be hurt by that. And so it doesn't take those black and white bribery, you know, quid pro quo situations. A lot of those little small experiences and interactions are either going to help build the trust or erode the trust. Yeah, and it, and it really shows, I think, leadership from, you know, in, you, you can get a better idea of, you know, how your firm approaches these issues and whether the core values that they espouse on their website or, or, or in, in marketing materials is actual real, uh, real, you know, to the heart kind of core principles in how they would handle a situation like the Virginia Tech or they handle a situation with a client that, uh, you know, has a history of, or, or an area of, of, of quite honestly, I mean, I'm thinking international, regional, right? There are ways of doing business outside of the United States and let's say in Eastern Europe. Oh, um, the Middle East is a, is a great example oh, because of just the familial relationships and how things are handled as normal course of business. Which which is com could be completely antithetical to what you have as a either a corporate value or or the code of ethics, and the question is: Do you do business there? Do you do you extend yourselves and be, expose yourself to that? And those are all real intricate questions from a leadership perspective that that you have to grapple with. And then there's no real clear answer, right? Um, and it, and it really does show that you know this this is more important than just the. Um, it all goes to perception. It all goes to see, you know, how you're seen and how, how the industry is seen. And they're very intricate, you know, questions that only get tougher as you rise through the ranks in, in leadership of the firm. Um, you know, at that, do, you, do you address any of those kind of things in the course as well, of, as far as like where, where business is done, if you're an international or if you're a, or just domestic? Well, uh, I, I do. And there, one of the ways I sort of do it is to talk about, you know, there are three different sort of intersecting circles of what is legal, what is moral and what is ethical. They are not the same. And, and you can behave ethically 
in a way that is both immoral and illegal. And I challenge people to think about that a little bit. And I talk about that a little bit at, at, during the course. Um, I, I'll give you I'll give you another example, something that is very current today for anybody who's a golfer. I mean, the whole sport is in an uproar right now because of the live tour, you know, the Saudi funded live tour. And you got players getting hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed to go play on that tour. That right now, in my mind, is a great example of an ethical dilemma that it is really interesting to try to look at all sides of that to figure out not just why people are making the decisions they're making, but where in the world is this going to end up for professional golf? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the story is going to be for professional golf in the long run as they struggle with what right now as much of anything is both a financial and ethical issue of who are the top players going to play with? Yeah, yeah, and, and not just not just financially, but reputationally, uh, and how it's perceived. Like to the point, it's, it's perception, and perception and reality. It's it's and that and perception quickly becomes reality if, if you know you make a decision in in the immediate that you think is just going to have a short term impact, but actually, long term, it's going to have a significant impact. Um, and and I think the the corollary there with engineering is that these small decisions can have a reputational impact that really um, can Im really have an effect on business development and what what clients come to you and and how you're perceived within the marketplace and also your competitive position against your peers in the marketplace. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to really dig into. Um, I Tim, I mean, you know we covered a lot here. I mean, is there anything else you would say to, to a prospective attendee to, to register for the course? Well, I, I would just say if you're, if you're really curious about how to sort of approach your life, not just your profession, but your life and to support your company from the standpoint of building authenticity and trust, uh, this is a topic that I've found has been very fascinating relative to that. Uh, ultimately, I mean, what I'm always looking for is is the ability to lay my head down on the pillow at night and feel like, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not ashamed of how that day went. And it, it, ethics has a has a big role to play in how we're going to end up sleeping at night. And I, I think folks can really, really have a very positive impact on folks around them if they dive into a topic like this and really embrace it. Absolutely. So Tim Groover, again, you'll be a whole uh, uh, the instructor for our upcoming uh, ethics course this February. Uh, go to acec.org to learn more about the course and to register and sign up. Um, hopefully you can attend live. Of course, on demand is available if you can't. But this is a critical issue. It's something that really defines the reputation of the industry and how we are perceived by the public policymakers and the people who are working for to actually improve communities. So uh, ethics is a critically important thing in business and, and hope that you take advantage of the seminar. Uh, Tim, thanks again for, for coming on the show. I do appreciate it and appreciate your time and insight. Jeff, thank you. I look forward to the course. Wonderful. And again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies, and we'll see you next time.